know it's around 3 o'clock or a little past 3 o'clock. I want you all to think back to this morning, and one of the first things that Dirk started off talking about was how Frontiers of Interaction began in 2005, and as I was listening to him, I was trying to remember where I was in 2005, and one of the memories that I have of 2005 was a conversation that I was having with a good friend of mine from college. His name was Aaron Patzer. And Aaron told me how that he wanted to build a new company, a new product, and the concept was around personal finance. He wanted to make it really easy for people to sell of their personal finances in one place. And he was calling it money intelligence. And as I was talking to Aaron, my initial response was, that's a great idea. And my second response is, that's a terrible name. And he looked at me and he said, well, you come up with a better name. So I thought for a couple minutes and I responded with, how about Mint? Well, he immediately smiled, loved the name. And soon after I came up with the name, I joined as the founding engineer of Mint.com. I began by building the prototype, and then we launched it, scaled it, and was integral in the acquisition in 2009, and after that, you know, went on to start my own entrepreneurial journey. But if you had told me in 2005 that as I was building Mint, I was going to be a part of this new category called FinTech, I would not have believed you, because all I and Aaron really wanted to do at the time was get rid of that ugly, shrink-wrapped CD-ROM software and make it instead web-based, a SaaS product that was friendly to use in a market that didn't have a lot of friendly products out there for customers. But since then, you know, fintech has definitely changed as an industry, and what I'm here to talk to you about today is the future changes that are coming. But I also hope that I'm going to inspire you to continue to think from a design perspective of how you can continue to innovate in this industry. But first, some bad news. And I know you're thinking, wow, we invited this woman all the way out from Palo Alto, California to give us bad news, right? So I think, I think you can handle this bad news. It's something you've been hearing pretty much all day long, which is that banks still can't innovate. And the reason that they can't innovate is, of course, there's a lot of regulations and there's a lot of policies. And so it's made it very, very hard for them. But of course, we have to be balanced because we love yoga. And so I have some good news. And the good news is that because banks can't innovate, it's opened the doors for startups to come in and do that kind of innovation. They can take on the risk. I have a second piece of good news, which is that global investment is also on the rise. There's a lot of investment going on in the fintech community for startups. And in fact, there are numbers to back this up. Back in 2013, there was about $4.05 billion being invested globally. So it's not just venture capital, it's all countries across the world investing in it. And then in 2014, just last year, $12.21 billion being invested. That's basically a 3x increase in one year alone. Now, if we drill down a little bit deeper, just within Europe itself, we see that in the UK and Ireland, this is where the majority of the investment is taking place. Nearly $700 million annually is being invested. And quickly following them are countries in the Nordics, in the Netherlands, as well as in Germany. But still no match for Silicon Valley, where we invest about $2 billion in fintech. 
Now, you might be wondering, this is all great. We're making all this investment, but what is it leading up to, right, if we're going to take the time to build these products and services? Well, the good news is that there's a lot of acquisition going on, similar to the one I experienced with Mint.com. And while the IPO market is still a little bit nascent, it's nascent across all of tech. However, this year alone, there was one IPO, Lending Club, which IPO'd at $865 million. And if you think that's great, imagine what you know is happening on the rest of the world. So despite there being some economic woes within Europe, WorldPay, which is a UK-based company, IPO'd at $7.4 billion. That's pretty amazing given the current state of the union. Now, you know, this is just the beginning because with more global investment happening between 2013 and 2014, there's going to be more and more fintech companies that emerge, certainly more acquisitions and certainly more IPOs. In fact, next year, Square will be IPOing in 2016, and we still have yet to see what happens between eBay and the PayPal divestment. And since it's been such a big player as one of the major fintech companies, it's going to open up the room for more and more companies to come and disrupt them as well. Now, we all know, as we talked about in retail, that e-commerce is growing and that there's more and more people shopping online. But the benefits of e-commerce growing is that it's also requiring more products and services to be created by fintech. But let's do a deeper dive into this. Right now, uh, if we look at the market of e-commerce, people are spending about $1.7 billion, sorry, trillion dollars uh, in 2015 alone. And that's set to more than double by 2019. It's going to be about $3.5 trillion. But in order to build products and services as designers, we have to dig in and see where all this uh, commerce is happening. So let's take a look at some of the major markets. China is clearly one of the leaders, with over $500 billion being spent annually. The U.S. is a quick follower, as well as the U.K. Uh, and then, of course, in the top 10, we still see Russia and Brazil. Now, let's do an even deeper dive into the cultural nuances, because that's really going to affect how we think about building fintech products and services for these markets. If we look at China, the majority of people who are making online purchases are 20-somethings. And 50% of the online purchases are, com or sorry, 50% of retail purchases are coming through online. If we look at the United States, despite the mobile market penetration, most of online purchases are actually coming from the web. And then you look at UK, we see that 30% of the transactions are online, and most of the people are purchasing them after 6 p.m. or onwards. And then we look at countries like Japan, Germany, and France. In Japan, you'd believe that uh, one of the most popular online activities is reading email. And then if we look at Germany, the sites which they are making most of their online purchases are Amazon as well as Auto. And France, even though it has about 68% online penetration, a lot of the French folks are purchasing products, but they're actually purchasing products from other countries, not ones within France. And South Korea, despite being a small country, actually has the best internet speeds, which of course is compelling people to buy online, and a lot of them are doing it through their mobile devices. Canada is making most of its purchases outside of Canada, similar to France, and unlike the United States, a lot of the purchases are through mobile versus the web. 
Now Russia, uh, despite its economic downturn, uh, is still a, quite a leader in terms of e-commerce, but don't expect to get payments online. Most of the transactions that happen online still require cash on delivery. And in Brazil, most of the e-commerce sites are geared towards fashion. So it's important that we understand the landscape if we're going to build products for these different regional players. And then if we look at the spectrum altogether, we see that there's a number of applications that we have to build. Lending, crowdsourcing, payments, investments, all of these are ones where we continue to invest in, and both at the consumer as well as business level. Now, you might be wondering, how does web compare to mobile? Well, I've mentioned before that web is still a pretty strong presence. People still continue to transact online. However, consumers expect to have a multi-screen approach because at the end of the day, they still have mobile phones. Now, all of this is leading me to tell you that there's a lot of fragmentation in the market. It's not necessarily a bad thing, and I'll explain why in a little bit. However, what is a problem is sorry about that, is the online fraud that continues to increase. Now, you would think that why would fraud be such an issue? After all, we have the magnetic chip now. But the problem is that the magnetic chip, while it was introduced, has only helped reduce retail fraud. Actually, what's happened is online fraud has increased. And if you look at countries like Australia and Canada, who have adopted it recently, their online fraud has gone up two times. So this means that we have to consider how we're going to handle fraud. The other issue is that nearly 03 to 3% of revenue for online retailers gets held up in fraud. And the other issue is that for online retailers, they have to assume 100% of the risk for transactions that are card not present, which basically means online transactions, not offline transactions. So all this goes to say that design is really important. If we have a fragmented market, then we have to differentiate through design. If we have fraud, then we have to also think about design. Now, here are some companies that are really taking a design-centric approach. The first is Square. Square has made it so simple for a small business owner to quickly transact, taking credit card payments just through their mobile devices. Another example is Wealthfront, who has basically made it so that you can very quickly see your investment portfolio without having to step into a bank or hire a financial advisor. Another example, of course, is Apple, right? They've made it so simple for you to just tap and pay, just like Roberta was mentioning when she goes to Pret-a-Manger. So the other interesting thing about Apple is that it's one of the technology companies that's becoming more involved in fintech. So we also see these lines being blurred between what we consider a pure technology company and what we consider a fintech company. The reverse is also happening where companies that were primarily seen as banking companies like Capital One now want to be seen more as technology companies. Now, all of this goes to say that you know, part of design is building trust. And we start off with brand building, but we also have to reinforce that as we build products with the experience. Experience is what helps us to reinforce that trust. Now you might be wondering, what about Bitcoin, right? Now a lot of people ask me, what is it that's preventing more and more folks from adopting Bitcoin as a way to have a transaction or as a currency? And I'll say that pretty much Alastair Ramba, the senior VP of Cardinal Commerce, makes it 
abundantly clear. The problem is sentiment like this, where everyone thinks that Bitcoin is the currency of criminals, which is certainly not the case. In fact, as I mentioned, most of the fraudulent activity is happening on existing infrastructure, on credit card technologies. Because cards aren't present, there's no way to trace the transaction, and as a result, you know, you've got all of this fraudulent activity taking place. Whereas with Bitcoin, you can, tra- you can basically trace the transaction and you're able to guarantee payment. And what's interesting to note is that merchants actually realize that this is a great infrastructure and they've started adopting it a lot more. Because for them, the benefits are guaranteed payment, right? The second is a reduction in transaction fees. The whole reason that transaction fees exist is because of the risk involved with the card not present transactions or chargebacks. But with a guaranteed payment, they don't have to have those transaction fees. And the third is that the transactions are actually faster, contrary to what we think about Bitcoin. And part of this is because banking protocols like SWIFT and a few others are actually much longer. It takes them a lot longer to get the money that they are owed. Uh, the other issue is, of course, escrow, having the payments being withheld for a period of time. So with merchants, they actually get the transactions faster by using Bitcoin. So all of this is to say that fintech is clearly changing as a landscape. I certainly wouldn't have anticipated this happening in 2005, but over the last 10 years, it's changed so much. And with continued global investment, we're going to see more and more startups get involved. We're going to see some level of fragmentation, but with good design practices, I know that we'll be able to differentiate. The other thing to think about is the amount of fraud and to come up with solutions around that. So I don't know about you, but I'm excited for the new era of fintech. Thank you.